This is Admiral Zapp Slatiper, U.S. Navy retired and current trustee of the estate of James Campbell. Join me in watching Evan and Carrie on Greater Good TV. Greater Good TV is proudly presented by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. Greater Good TV with your hosts Carrie and Evan Leong. Leaders inspiring leaders. A place where financial profit and social responsibility go hand in hand for Hawaii's greater good. Today's special guest is Campbell Estate Trustee, Admiral R.J. Zapp Slatiper. Welcome to our show, R.J. Zapp Slatiper. All right. Hi, Terry. It's such a tongue twister to say Zapp Slatiper, but that's such an awesome name. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, cats have nine lives, and it seems like you've had a few yourselves. Could you tell us about the many things that you've been involved in for your career? Talking about just a quick chronological swing? Sure. I've been, a, I've been through four careers and I think I'm about to start on my fifth. I, and by that I, I started out in the Navy as a Navy pilot, flew on aircraft carriers for probably 25 years and then essentially became a senior officer in the Navy and a staff officer, if you will, an operational guy, and then served about 10 years as an admiral and 12 of those years in Washington, so I'm a bureaucrat guy. And then after I uh, finished my Navy career, I went back to the mainland because I couldn't find anything to allow me to stay out here at the moment. And I ran a software company, took them public, and we, it was a really exciting three and a half years. And then lo and behold, I had a great opportunity to make my fourth career move, if you will, and come back out here as the uh, trustee for the Campbell Estate, and now I'm a real estate guy. In the Navy as an admiral, what's the difference, do you think, that separates admirals from, I guess, the rest of the bunch? Everyone wants to be admiral, I would assume. I, I think a lot of it is, as I used to say, is luck. And by that I mean in, in pretty much everything in life. You know, there are two things you can control in life, I've always said, and that's your attitude and your effort. And uh, everything else is sort of the right place at the right time. And the admiral side, I think you can make, earn a captaincy, an 06 level. But when you move up to admiral, you have to sort of be lucky enough to be the guy that gets chosen because you have some certain skill. In fact, Evan, it's interesting. I was the, the chairman of uh, the selection committee for one board when I was a four-star admiral. We, we picked 26 new admirals, one-stars every year. And I chaired that board, and we had 1,125 captains that we were going to consider. We could only pick 26. It was very easy to go through records and get down to that last 90. You know, the, the, they sort of stood out from everyone else on, on their effort and their attitude. But to go from 90 down to 26, it was really a tough cut. What are and the traits that you're seeing in the 26 admirals and then the four admirals that make it to the next level that maybe they all share, but maybe others may not? Uh, I think it's it's pretty much the same traits that you see anybody excel in in, in, in business in general or any large organization. It's uh, integrity is a very big part of it. Uh, a lot of motivation to work, a lot of foresight, uh, and just good management practices. So I came up with what I call the Zlatiper management system, and it sort of fits into all of those. And that is, you make you have a goal, you make a plan, you work hard, and you take care of your people. And by taking care of people, it's not just the people that work for you, but the people that work with you and your bosses. So you keep your bosses happy, you keep your peers happy. And by that, I mean not 
giggling happy, but satisfied that you're you're being a productive team member, and you take care of the men and women that work for you to make sure that they have a chance to move up and sort of stand on your shoulders and move on. So those four points, and I th I think that's the common thing that I saw in all those people that made the first step up to the four star. What's the best example that you've seen of your four management principles actually coming through and, and creating results? My whole story, I ended up as a four star admiral, but my goal when I came into the Navy was to, has been a situation, a, a series of steps. My initial goal was to get into flight training and become a Navy pilot. Mm -hmm. And I managed to obtain that. I had a goal and I and had a plan was to get to that next level was work hard at, at school and uh, get through flight training and take care of people. The only people I had were classmates at the time. And I became a Navy pilot. Uh, then my next goal was to become the commanding officer of a squadron. And I worked hard at that, and I, but I, I did the jobs that I had, and they sort of fed into that. And once I became the commanding officer of a squadron, I said, I'd like to be an air wing commander. So I had a, situ a, a group of personal goals, but they never interfered with what was my real goal, which was to make the squadron that I was in the best squadron in the Navy. How did you make sure that the players there were also having that same goal? Because everyone has an individual goal, but you also want to make sure that they all want to be the best together. Yeah. That's a great question, Carrie. And, and I, I think the best example was I, I, I like to think that I'm a collaborative guy and I solicit thoughts from everybody on what the goals should be. And I think if people have a chance to contribute, even if you don't use their input, they, they feel that they've been a part of it and you've listened. But a, a good example, when I was an Air Wing commander, we had nine squadrons that worked for me. And of those nine squadrons, each had a commanding officer, and one of those commanding officers was going to be an Air Wing commander and the other eight weren't. There is a natural conflict there between those things. How do you get them to work together? I sat down and I said, you know, if we all work together, maybe more than one of us, you know, we can get several of us, and there'll be some other people that won't have any or something like that. If but. I can guarantee you if we aren't known as the best air wing, no, nobody will want to have any of the squadrons have their guys move up. So uh, I think we all work together. And, and the good news on that story was three of those nine commanding officers got to be air wing commanders and two others got subsequent bonus commands. So over half of them did well. And it was because they all worked together to make our air wing a, such an, a, a good organization. And that really applies, I think, pretty much on everything along those lines. See, so do, do you just focus them in on, let's just work together and then the yeah. end will happen exactly. how it's meant to be. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it really does. If you're, if you're part of a great organization, your chances of moving up anywhere are so much better than being the best of a really poor organization. I, I you know, uh, uh, if you're the number two guy at, at uh, Microsoft, the chances that you're going to get a great job somewhere else are pretty much, you know, are pretty good. If you're the number one guy at a, at a bankrupt organization, there's not going to be a big demand for you to, to, to come in. And I think that sort of feeds it. So be part of this great organization, and I want your input for, for that. Coming up, Zap shares why he left Hawaii and what led him back. I work at Earthlink. I believe internet good can defeat internet evil. The world without spyware, viruses, or online identity theft. I believe in a place where our information can be safe. I won't stop fighting until we get there. We work at Earthlink. And we're making unbelievable things happen every day. It's time to start believing. Earthlink, we revolve around you. 
Order now and get Earthlink for $29.95 for six months. So where do you think we'll be 20 years from now? Be right here working on this lawnmower. Do you think we're saving enough for retirement? Well, maybe it's time we find somebody to help us. Maybe it's time we buy a home. to make your group or your squadron the best. Yeah. But when you made your goals or those little steps to getting to a certain position, how did you know you wanted to be in that position? I had mentors along the whole way. I always had someone that I worked for or with that I really respected that I could sit down and talk and, and, and say, I would like to be that like that person. My first commanding officer was a guy who I still stay in touch with to this day. We email almost on a daily basis and uh, a guy named Bob Mandeville, he retired as a two-star admiral, as a matter of fact. I was happy when he made flag because he, he was a great leader. He was a commander when I met him, and he, he, took, he brought us all along, and I sat there and watched what he did, and I also talked to him on the side. And he also gave me one of my great good lessons uh, in the military. Uh, I was a Navy ROTC graduate. I went, the, the Navy paid my way through college. I was the first first person in my family to go to college. My, my parents were all very pleased. My dad was a hard worker that came from nothing and did wonderfully well, but no one had ever been to college. Uh, the Navy paid my way through school, so I owed them three and a half years or four years of service when I graduated, and I said, well, why not add another year and fly an airplane? So I did that. Uh, and then I went into the Navy and flew. And I did my job as best I could and I worked hard. And I decided, well, I have to pay my time back. I'm going to get a job and get out. My mother said, you know, shouldn't you get a real job when you're in the Navy like this? It's, you know, it's good to serve your country, but you have a real job. So I actually put in resignation papers to leave the Navy, and I got a job with IBM. I was going to go to work up in Poughkeepsie, New York, which where passion comes into. I wasn't passionate about it, although I was a, a math and physics major in college, and I liked quantitative things. And IBM and 19, this would have been 1967, was a very exciting place to be going. I mean, but nonetheless, it was, I wasn't passionate about it. Well, Bob Mandeville, this guy that was my mentor, pulled me aside one night and he said, Zap, why are you leaving the Navy? I said, well, because I should go get a job. He said, look, if you're leaving to go to something that you really want to go to do, 
I'm going to be your biggest backer. But if you're just leaving this to go do something else because you don't like necessarily what you're doing right now, he said, then I'm going to sit down and, and talk to you about it. So he said, well, talk to me. And so he said, well, you do a very good job. And I said, you know, Skipper, you're the first guy that's ever really pulled me aside and said that overtly to me, gave me that feedback. I said, I thought I was doing pretty well, but nobody. And he said, we really want you to stay in the Navy. And I want you to you know, make my Navy be better. And it was that thing that, that triggered me in a major way in my life that, uh, that's been very important to me. I withdrew my resignation papers and stayed for another 30 years, or actually 28 years. After you retired from the Navy, you said you didn't come across a job that you were satisfied, at least a job offer in Hawaii. So you yeah. couldn't stay in Hawaii and you went to California. Yeah, and well, I actually moved back to our house in Washington, D.C. Okay. Hmm. And then you started working with Sanchez Computer Associates? Yes, up so in the Philadelphia area. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you started getting involved in the technology side? Sure, certainly. I, I, I left Hawaii in uh, 96, end of 96. And uh, Carrie, as we've talked, I, I would have liked to have stayed out here because I think that as far as touching the rest of the world, this is a wonderful place to be. But the, the uh, opportunities at that time were not that great. So I went back, we moved back, we had kept a home near Washington, D.C., we moved back in there, and then I did what every admiral ought to do, right? He went and talked, I talked to all the large defense contractors. And I have to say, I wanted to try something different. I, I, I had nice conversations with Lockheed and Grumman and Northrop and all of, the, all of those organizations, but I said I would like to try something different. I had met a man out here in Hawaii uh, who had come out to, to visit, and I'd given him a tour of Pearl Harbor and talked about it, and he, had, he essentially was a venture capitalist of large means, and he had started a bunch of companies, and he called me up and he said, Zap, I have a company that's got a great product, and it's and a software company, but I think they need some overall management skills, and why don't you come up here and talk to these guys? So we went up and I talked to Mike and Frank Sanchez, who had just started the company, a couple of young guys, and 125 men and women in blue jeans and t-shirts is what it was. And they had a, uh, uh, they did banking software and internet software, and it was right at, at when the, the tech world was getting hot, but before it had become overheated. And so I went in there as their, their CEO. What was the hardest thing for you personally, making the transition from the military into the private sector? Um, maybe something that you haven't even yeah. shared because people think well, you're know, the uh, admiral. They, you know, it was interesting. Uh, the hardest transition, I guess, when I moved in, into to that specific region was that these were very smart, intelligent young people who worked 24 hours a day at their own rate, and then when they didn't want to come into work, they didn't come in if they didn't have something to do kind of thing. And I was used to, well, okay, I'm going to call, I'm going to tell everybody to come here at such and such a time and do this. So there was a difference in expectations. Now, they were as worried about me as I was about that. Uh, I, I joke uh, that, you know, I heard Colin Powell talk about the fact that his first day at, when he was no longer the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, he sat in the back of his car for about 15 minutes waiting for somebody to drive him somewhere. I wasn't quite that, it wasn't quite my story. But there were, the, the difference was, uh, not as great as I would have thought because I was mentally prepared. I was going into something totally different. I think had I been in the defense industry, it might have been a, a little bit of a different shock. You know? But I was perfectly ready to make coffee with everybody else. And one of the things that I prided myself on, and this is maybe a little note for everybody, is uh, 
I was a big unknown coming up to this company, this, this retired four-star admiral. I mean, they had visions of a guy with gray hair and mustache and epaulets, I guess, and uh, was going to come up. So they were very concerned about me. Uh, I called the HR director the week before and asked her to put together a picture book. And I wanted everybody's picture and the name and one fact about them. So the day I walked in, I knew all 126 people by name, and it was a big help. I was wondering how it, that did affect you know the employees in regards to the CEO really caring about me, and what difference do you think it made on the performance and the company culture? I, I think it made a big, uh, big impact on our company for a couple of reasons. Number one, I came in, and the first day I told them, I don't know one-hundredth of what you all know about the product that we put out here, the, the banking software package. I, and I, I said, I can't learn it. You know, I have I got a company to run. Uh, my interests are going to be different. So you all have different skill sets than I, and I'm never going to be able to come and talk to you about your programming. But I'll always be here to help you with something if you need to get more resources to go do it. Stay tuned to find out why Zap feels it's important to not just be a leader, but also to lead. Hi, I'm Richard Lewis, CEO of Core Systems Hawaii, Hawaii's data storage experts. For over 18 years, we've been helping businesses protect their critical data with enterprise IT systems. We've seen all types of service interruptions, from power outages to simple human errors. Core Systems now provides a local disaster recovery managed service utilizing our experience in storage and server virtualization. Call us at 440-5000 to ensure that your data will be there when you need it most. Hey, did our banker get back to us on those ideas to streamline our cash flow? <sighs> yeah, that's what I thought. Well, maybe we need a bank that actually cares about our business. And I've got Grace working on payroll, because I'm going to need it for... You're not going to believe this. Do you know any good business bankers? Do you believe anything is possible? I do. I work at Earthlink. I believe internet good can defeat internet evil. A world without spyware, viruses, or online identity theft. I believe in a place where our information can be safe. I won't stop fighting until we get there. We work at Earthlink. And we're making unbelievable things happen every day. It's time to start believing. Earthlink, we revolve around you. Order now and get Earthlink for $29.95 for six months. Find the job you've always been looking for in the Star Classifieds, where Hawaii's top companies advertise. Working in the food and beverage business for 15 years, I was looking for a change. I opened up the Star Classifieds, saw the ad, and it was the best move there for me. The midweek is a paper I look in all the time and recently heard over the radio of the Star Classified ads. Recently, you accepted the position of regent at Chaminade University. How did you get involved in Chaminade, and why is this important to you? Uh, it's interesting. I, my wife and I were talking about passions, and uh, I think my passion is to do well in whatever I, I do. That's a strange way to put it, isn't it? It's almost a process kind of thing. I don't want to do anything and do it poorly. But if you needed a, an area that I think matters, I would say I'm probably more passionate about education than I am of any other 
type of area. And the reason is, I think that is the great leveler for all of human, humankind. Education is an investment that you never lose on. And it's the way to raise people from poverty. It's the way to sustain people who are doing well. It's, and, and it's the way for us to make the, the tide rise for all, all human, humankind. And so uh, Chaminade here is, is a very important part of our community. And uh, I uh, had had a relationship with uh, Marianas, University, uh, Marianas High School. I went to a high school that was taught by the same order that, that uh, sponsored Chaminade out here. So when I had an opportunity to, I spoke at their graduation some 10 years ago. And I came back here five years later, and they asked me to join their board, and it was a natural to do because I wanted to be involved in education. I'm on the board of uh, two other universities back on the mainland. I, I think that education is just vitally important for all of us. And I, I, you spend your whole life. You're either a teacher or a student your whole life. You know? And if you aren't, then you ought to be because then you're just stagnating. Were you doing community, um, were you giving back to the community when you were younger also? I, I was from my. I guess it was parental drive. Yes. Yeah. I was. I was a Boy Scout. Where I, the one thing I learned was always leave the campsite in a better shape than when you came to it, and that's probably one of the th hip pocket things I carry with me. You know, never. Even to the point now that I, I try to spruce up any any room that I leave, or, but or more importantly, leave every organization better than you can, and. Uh, the a product of my education, uh, I went through to a boys' high school, but part of theirs was community service is very important. And it, so it got imbued in me, and I've, I've done that. And I, interestingly, the squadrons in the Navy I, I've been involved in, I've been amazed at, at the volunteer work that they've all done. Uh, at Sanchez, we, uh, the, the company, we sponsored uh, runs, AIDS runs, and uh, and we're very much involved in the community there, and, and we actually did whatever. We had a little corporate fund set aside to help people with what their own was. And then if you move out now to the Campbell Estate, I think we have 100% participation of every employee at the Campbell Estate in some community organization. And the Campbell Foundation itself gives, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars a year to community things. So would you say that's a prerequisite for your leadership then? They have to be uh, engaged I, in the community. Yes, I, I think uh, giving back is is very important. You know, from those of us who have so much, give back and help others. I it's, I'm, I'm trying to do the same thing for my kids. I, I call it to stand on my shoulders, my son syndrome. We we talked a little bit before about that, Evan. Where if you've done well, helping your your offspring to do better. They use you as a foundation to move on, and, and, and that's the same kind of thing. And, and community service is just something. And it also makes you feel better, too. I, I've never met anybody that, did, that helped somebody that didn't feel better about it after they've done it. You brought up your parents and being in Boy Scouts of, you know, prior. Could you share with us maybe your fondest childhood memory? Uh, childhood memories. Actually, I, I, what I recall was uh, being a, a, a paper boy, probably started part of, did part of my business uh, career also. Uh, the Cleveland Press, I was the afternoon paper boy, and there was a kid that shared the next route over with me, and I don't remember his name, Denny Johnson, his name was, I guess. And uh, we would deliver the afternoon paper six, six days a week, and we would charge 42 cents, was the, uh, was the 
the price. I got two cents for each one, so I'd, I'd get 12 cents per customer. I was, my, my father said, it's important that you do this well. And uh, I was always on time, and if you wanted your paper in the mailbox, you got it in the, in the mailbox. If you wanted it inside your door, you got it inside your door. And I always collected at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoons, so you could count on me. Denny was a little more free-spirited, and he would maybe deliver his papers a half an hour late and sort of throw them around, and some weeks he wouldn't collect and some we would collect, and, but he was a good buddy of mine. Came the first Christmas, I remember, and, and what I discovered was when I collected on Sundays, most of my customers would give me 50 cents and say, keep the, keep the rest. And I didn't have to give them the eight cents back, so essentially my profit margin excuse me, was going up by 60% every week just because I was predictable and executing. Denny was having a tough time just making ends meet because he would drift behind and, and get in arguments with the people. <laughs> and then the first Christmas came around, and almost every one of my 50 customers gave me a dollar and a half, two dollars, some of them gave me five dollars. I mean, I made like a hundred dollars for Christmas. And then he came out with 12 bucks, I think, or something like that. I remember we compared. And what it, it really registered with me that, you know, people value hard work, execution, doing what they wanted done, and it really stuck with me. And it, it, it probably carried over to what I did for years after that. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Admiral, for joining us today on Greater Good TV. And thank you for joining us today on Greater Good TV. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodtelevision.com. Please join us again for another episode of Greater Good TV. Probably try to swim it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield, but they get it to Rodgers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Will it count? And the Bears have won. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. Greater Good TV has been proudly presented by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking.